0: The thing that typically holds us captive the most are the things that we're in fear of, right? And as we've just sang that song, we're no longer slaves to fear, and we heard Georgie's testimony this morning, what we want to try to accomplish in our short time together is to begin to relinquish some of the fears that we have by understanding our status, understanding how we fortify ourselves in a world that contradicts everything that Christ is about. But the thing is, and the thing we've really, and this is what I really want you to grab hold of as we begin this process together in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, is what I really want you to begin to think through is that fortification in life as we encounter the world day in and day out is going to take some effort. It's going to be a bit uncomfortable. But in order to find the greatest healing, in order to find the greatest freedom, in order to relinquish some of the things that hold us captive and in bondage, we have to face those fears. And in facing those fears, we know that God does something in the midst of that. And so this morning what we want to get, but continue our process through this book called 1 Peter, and I want to be totally transparent with you this morning, Um, I began um, studying for this months and months and months ago, and outlining what we're going to talk about throughout this book, and I haven't been ashamed or or scared to tell you guys this is probably my favorite book in the New Testament, Uh, and in our schedule to go through, and I'm kind of very strict about that in my sermon preparation time, we were supposed to be in chapter 3 today, Well, God has had other plans as we walk through this text, and so we might be here until 2026. Um, But I think the fruit we're going to reap and the gold we're going to extract from this is going to be incredible. And I want you to turn to chapter 2, verse 11. We're going to deal with two verses this morning. And what we've learned so far is that as Peter is writing this incredible letter to churches that are called exiles, we've learned that exiles are people who know Jesus And understand that this is their temporary home. If you know Christ, you are not a citizen here. You're a citizen of heaven. Therefore, you're an exile. Make sense? We've dealt with that over and over again. And there's really two major themes we've studied so far. Just to kind of cover things you may have forgotten. One is that there is salvation for us through Christ. He does something majestic. He does something wonderful. He does something powerful by changing us from sinners to saints. That's amazing what God does. And in the last couple of weeks, we've dealt with our status. And if there was a spiritual social media, and if you're a Christian, your status would be redeemed. Your status would be child of God, like we just sang about. However, because we're exiles, we we're sw- feel like we're swimming upstream, that everything pushes against us day in and day out. We deal with this constantly. And so there has to be a point in life as we fortify our faith, we find fortification in the world that we live in, on a practical basis, day in and day out. We get our status that we're in Jesus. And here's the good news about the gospel. When Christ looks at you, he sees himself. He doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see disappointment. He doesn't see inadequacy. He doesn't see rejection. But the reality is he sees himself. But does the world see that status? Does that make sense to you guys? When we're identified by everyone else on the planet, what do they see? Now, I stole this from my niece, Addison. I will give it back, I promise. But do you guys remember this toy growing up? Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, mine was made out of wood, uh, but now they, they make them out of plastic, I guess. And you open this thing up, and in the little box, you've got different things. You've got like a triangle. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody see the triangle? You've seen Sesame Street, right? You know what that is. Okay. A couple of things. We've got circles. Uh, we've got squares. Uh, we've got... Uh, uh, stars we'll talk about that I don't know what you call this I'm going to call this a plus sign but since we're in church this is the cross and so that kind of thing and what you do have you ever seen a kid do this they take this and you give them the blocks and they just kind of like my my, my niece you know she's little less than one years old she'll she would go you know and just feel it around feel it around till finally she made it fit right you know what I'm talking about and do you ever feel like the world's like that I mean you go from one social group to the next you go from one place to the one church to the next, and you're like, man, where do I fit? And finally you find that place where you fit, and it falls right into place. But here's the problem. Christians aren't made to fit in this. You didn't know that. If you're a person of Christ, if you know Jesus, you're not supposed to fit here. That's why it feels like you're swimming upstream. God's recreated you into something different. And no matter how hard you try to live out your faith, You're never going to fit here. Now, you can shave some things off. You can compromise some things. You can change the way you act. You can backslide into sin. Or you can just say, forget this whole faith thing and then force yourself and you what we call a faker, right? And Nobody likes that. But here's the deal. Regardless of how hard you try, God made you a square peg and the world is round. And you're not going to fit. It's not going to happen. We can fake it to a certain point. And in that whole context, you're going to be completely and horribly miserable. Agreed? Because you're not fitting there. But society, social cues, culture, whatever it may be, says, look, you need to fit. You need to be accepted. You need to look this way, act this way, talk this way. And if you don't fit here, something is abnormal. Agreed? But the reality is you are abnormal because you're in exile. You're not supposed to be here. You are the square peg, Christian. And so how do we fortify our faith in a world that says, fit like this? What does that look like? And how do we put some practical parameters around that? And what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to give you a couple of points and then some homework to understand. But the, really, the, the, really the answer in doing that is I want to encourage you this morning to be the square peg. Okay? I want you to own it. Own who you are because the reality is in life, in our relationship with God when you own who you are, you become way more fortified. You need to understand that. When you own who you are, you become way more fortified in your faith. The problem is many of us are falling short in our relationship with God and how we live that out is because we don't own this. And in you're going to overcome some of these obstacles that we face, you have to admit who you are. If you're going to overcome these obstacles, you're going to have to admit who you are. And the thing is, all of us have those obstacles in front of us, right? We're all trying to fit here. We're all trying to find acceptance. We're all trying to find our place. We're all trying to just do what social media says. Hey, Instagram tells me to take care of my kid this way. Snapchat says my friends are doing this. Facebook says I'm old. All that stuff, right? But here's the thing. You're not going to overcome that until you admit I'm not supposed to be here. I'm a square peg. There's a school in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I love their premise: is they're taking in these kids who must not might not make it in a regular school system, and and they don't do any athletics or anything like that. And they tell their kids, "We're not teaching you to be an NBA player; we're teaching you how to be an NBA owner." I like that, don't you? God's calling you to be an owner question is, are you going to do that or not? We're going to have to drop some of the fears that we have that hold us in bondage. Let's look at the text this morning in chapter 2 of 1 Peter. We're going to go to verse 11. I wanted to, we're going to kind of understand what's got going on. We're going to give you some principles and we're going to get out of here. But notice what happens here. Verse 11 Dear friends, now stop here. I want you to understand he's writing to Christians. It's people that's made their relationship with Christ public. Now, the way we make Christ public in our own lives, first of all, you got to know Jesus. You've asked him to come into your life, and you make that public profession of faith by being baptized. I want to encourage you to do that if you haven't done that before. But understand, he's saying, dear friends, your identity, remember, your salvation is in Christ, your status in Christ, now in front of the world, your identity needs to be Jesus. You follow me on this? Now keep rolling, that's what happens next. He further goes into their identity, he says, dear friends, I urge you, I beg you, I'm praying for you that you are as foreigners and as exiles. Do you see that? Now foreigners are those who take up residence in a different country. And exiles know that their citizenship is elsewhere and they're not supposed to be here. And anytime you're around someone who may speak a different language, even in our own context here, as inclusive as we try to be, people are going to look at you, right? I remember my first mission trip, I went to Belize. And We were building a school in Belize, and I'll never forget. It was, we got on the plane in Houston, Texas. We flew to Belize City in Belize. We stepped off the plane, and it's kind of like you're in a time warp, but nothing happened. And you get in a car, you drive somewhere, you get out, and everybody's just the same. And I'll never forget walking in the airport, and I was like, something's changed. And whether it's my accent or it's because I'm different or I look differently, people were staring. And I want you to understand something. When you follow Christ and when you choose to be and own this whole concept of being the square peg, people are going to gawk at you. People are going to notice that. So don't be surprised about it. Don't think, hey, I'm just different. Because you are. You're a child of God. You don't have to be a slave of that fear anymore. Let's keep reading here. Notice what happens next. It says, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from the sinful desires which wage war against your soul live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to understand what the ramifications are for you and I to live a fortified life in front of other people. And the first thing you need to understand is this. You have to learn to starve your impulses. You have to learn to starve your impulses. Now get what happens here. Go back to verse 11. Notice what he says here. He says, Dear friends, I urge you, I'm begging you, I'm praying for you. Your salvation is in Christ. It's all about him and what he's done. Your status is now redeemed. Now, in the world, I am begging you to demonstrate your identity by starving your impulses. Abstain from the sinful desires that wage war against your soul. Now, here's the thing. What he's saying here is that all of us have these impulses that aren't necessarily Christ-centered. Would y'all agree on that? There are things that I do, things that you do, that aren't necessarily something that's going to make God proud. And they wage war against us internally. Have y'all ever felt that way? That you're trying to do the right thing, but something's pulling you in a totally different direction? You ever been there? I mean, I'm there all the time, y'all. What we see, what we say, what we think, what we do, all those things are constantly just berating me and fighting me and just tearing me apart and it's like a war is happening inside of me internally and spiritually I hope you feel the same way so the question I want to ask just for a moment let's investigate this and dig a little deeper is what do we abstain from what are we specifically starving because there's some good things that we need to deal with suffering is not necessarily something you starve yourself from nobody likes to be comfortable right everybody wants their life to be good and be easy agreed But that's not necessarily what he's saying here. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5 and go to verse 16. Because I want you to notice the Apostle Paul writes kind of the same thing here, but maybe in a little different way. And I thought it might shed some light in this. Notice what happens here, Galatians chapter 5. He says this, So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now that's the whole point here. Now go back to 1 Peter chapter chapter 2 verse 11. He's saying the same thing in a way. Beloved, dear friends, your position, your status is Christ. So therefore, I urge you as exiles and foreigners, abstain from the sinful desires. Now go back to verse 16, Galatians chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you're not going to do these things. You're going to be able to abstain. Go to verse 17. Notice what it says again. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. Now, let's understand what's happening here. The flesh is your sinful desires, my sinful desire. We've all got those, okay? We were born sinners. We were born people that didn't, know, didn't have to be taught to lie. We were born people that didn't have to be taught to steal. We were born people who didn't have to be taught to be jealous. We are just born sinners. But Christ redeems you, and then you're born again. You follow that? You can become a person of the Spirit. Now, here's what happens here. There is a tug of war in our hearts because we currently reside here, but we are exiles and citizenship is there that I need to fit in. I need to fit in here. You Got that? That's your sinful desire. That's your flesh. But Christ is saying, no, you are this, and you're never going to do that. It's never going to fit. And so the point he's trying to make here is this. It is normal to you feel like. Let's go back to First Peter chapter two verse eleven. It is normal that you feel like you are in the middle of a war. Normal for you to think that Christianity is supposed to be easy. You have bought into a lie. For you to think that I'm going to be readily accepted and everything's going to be great. That's not true. There's a war internally that's happening within us. Now, let's go back to Galatians chapter 6, verse 17. Now, get what happens next. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh, and they are in conflict with one another so that you are not to do whatever you want. You ever feel that way? I want to do the good thing, but I find myself doing the bad thing. I want to trust God, but I find myself doubting. I want to be nice to this person, but man, they're a jerk. You feel me on this? You been there? Now read a little further, verse 18. Get this. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, meaning when you mess up, God's not going to condemn you because you're in Christ. Now verse 19 says this. and This is where we get to the meat of what we're talking about. He says this. These are the, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And what he does, he has three categories of sins that we deal with. The first one he says is, is sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Now, we're not going to go deep into which one of those, each, each of those words mean. We've done that before, but I want to give you a category here. And these are the, we starve the impulse to sin against ourself. You Follow that? We starve the impulse, this category, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, is the sins that affect us and damage us. Does that make sense to you guys? What you breathe in? how you treat yourself, all those things that affect you, how you think, people you're around, influences, the list can go on and on. But these are the sins against yourself. And what Peter is saying here, what Paul is reaffirming is this. If you're going to live a life that is fortified in this world, you're going to have to learn, I'm going to have to learn, to fortify my life by starving the impulse to make me feel good when I know it's wrong. You get that? Did you follow that train of thought? It's important to do that you see there's some absolutes in scripture that we need to understand absolutely when Christ comes into your life you're a child of God absolutely you'll never lose that salvation but there are absolute things that he says that you and I are called to do when you don't do them you're still saved but man there's discontent right man that war gets vicious and leaves war scars all over our souls y'all been there We have to learn to starve that impulse to sin against self, but notice the next category here. Let's go to verse 20. Get this. Idolatry and witchcraft. Now, let's stop right here. I want you to understand what's happening here. The idea to have idolatry and witchcraft are to put things above your faith, above your God. And that's the sins against your faith, to say I'm going to trust this rather than trust him. Now, you're thinking, well, Chip, I don't have a problem with that. Au contraire, you and I do all the time, all the time. Let's think through a couple things. When we idolize someone above the Lord, when we base truth on someone's opinion or a blog or what something happens on social media or YouTube above Scripture, that's idolatry and witchcraft. When we open up the horoscope and say, I'm just going to do this for fun, that's witchcraft. Y'all realize that, right? That's wrong. When I was a kid, this was before 316 had been built. I don't know if any of you guys remember 316 not being here. All I remember is big cow pastures everywhere. It was wonderful. Um, to do anything, you went to Athens. And so to go to the movies, you went to Athens. And I remember when Georgia Square Mall, any of y'all ever been there in Athens, was built. And it was like, this is the greatest thing ever. You went to see Santa Claus there. You got those really tart lemonades from the lemonade place there. All those things, it was great. Um, to go to Athens and we had to make a family trip of it, and that seemed like forever because you had to take Atlanta Highway right out here all the way to Athens, and then you would get there, and every time you go by there, you'd go past Highway 78, there'd be the big Pepsi plant, still there, right? And across the street, there's a big bellboard that says Coke is better. You remember that? I loved, I thought that way. Even as a kid, I was like, that's funny. And then you keep on going, and there's this little bitty house, and it said, Come get your palm red. Now, every time I go by there, I think, well, that would be kind of cool to get your palm red, right? They're going to look at, now, just come in close. How stupid is that? I'm going to look at your hand and tell you what's going to happen. Wow, that's genius. Man, i got to make some money doing that kind of stuff. In fact, tomorrow morning here at 9 o'clock, I'm going to read your palm. It's going to cost $100, bucks, but I'm going to tell you, just and this is how it's going to go, just let you know, yeah, that's stupid. Okay, that's exactly how, so I would think, man, I got to stop in there and check that out, so I'll never forget going to a, my parents, thank God, never like, oh, that's, that's stupid shit, so we went to a high a, a carnival um, for my elementary school, and there was a little booth saying, come get your palm read, and I was like, finally, Now I had no idea it was a room, I'm dressed in like something, a towel on her head, so I walked in, sat down, and I said, can you read my palms?" she goes, ooh, you're going to be very wealthy, ain't happened, ooh, you're going to live a long life. I hope so, and then I said, but I really like sports, I want to be a... Football player one day, ooh, okay, yeah, I see you're going to be like this guy. What about this guy at Georgia? Yeah, you're going to be as good as him, yeah. And I said, what about Hershey Walker? And she goes, no. <laughs> That's idolatry and witchcraft, guys. It's the idea is I'm going to buy into these things instead of buying into what Christ says. You follow that? It's the sins against the faith. I'm going to put my trust elsewhere. Then there's one more category. I want you to read this one. This is the one that's more apparent. This is the one that you see the most. Because we can justify, well, it's my body. I can do what I want to with my body. And I'm going to do it, 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 You know, whatever, man. The Bible says your body is a temple to the Lord. And you need to treat it in such a way, right? And then you can say, well, it's my faith. Well, it's, I never, I'm not a witchcraft person. Now, let's keep rolling here. Notice what happens. Verse 21. No, go back to verse 20. I'm sorry. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. These are the sins against others. These are the things that we do to other people that we need to starve ourselves from. Sometimes we get a lot of pleasure out of hating others, don't we? Y'all ever been? Just say yes, you have. It just feels good. I hate that person. I'm going to block you on social media. You know, that kind of stuff. Gotcha. Or, you know, I just, I'm going to cause a dissension. Like, you know, one part of my family wants to go to this restaurant. The other part wants to go to this restaurant. I'm going to cause a fight and make both restaurants look bad. You know, whatever it may be for you. But it's the sins that we act on other people that we have to starve ourselves from. So important that we begin to understand that. So important that we need to get that. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. The point is this. If you're going to choose to own being a square peg, you're going to have to choose, I'm going to have to choose to learn to starve our impulses that aren't necessarily going to bring us joy and contentment. You follow that? We're going to have to starve those things in our life that aren't of God. Because those things never bring us joy and contentment anyway, right? Yes, yeah, harder because the world is saying, fit here, and Christ is saying, no, be who you are in Christ. But here's the thing. When we choose this over the world, there's something wonderful that happens. I've been trying to eat right and work out. I don't know if you've noticed. I've, been, I've lost a little weight. Uh, I don't know. You probably haven't. I hope you haven't. Um, but man, yesterday I got home and I got, on, I got some jeans that I wore in high school. And I put them on and they fit. It was awesome. Uh, I went to the mirror, and I don't ever do this. I was like, boy, you looking good. No, I didn't do that. Uh, but, but man, I've been losing a little weight and that kind of stuff. So I thought, because I've been doing this for about three or four weeks, I've earned a cheat day. Now, I've been keeping up with Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, on Twitter, and he has a cheat day once a week. And, I mean, you ought to see the things this dude eats. Now, he's a beast, and that's my objective is to be there. And so, I'm lying. Here's the thing. All that's happening. I'm like, I've, done, I've had a hard week this week, and I've earned a cheat day. So I went to McDonald's. And I went through that drive-thru, and I was like, I want a double quarter pounder with cheese and a large french fry. Do you want to supersize that, sir? Is there any other way? I sure do, yes. And I want a Coke, and I want a pizza, and I chowed down Friday. And I just want to be real with you guys. It was glorious. It was awesome. But it's bad stuff. And it's going to affect me later, correct? If you don't starve yourself, hear me on this. You're never going to fortify your identity in this world. And it's hard. But you've got to learn to starve yourself. I've got to learn to starve myself. But there's more to the story. Let's go to verse 12. Get this. Verse 12 makes this statement here in chapter one, or chapter 2 of, of Peter, 1 Peter. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now, I want to kind of break this down for you. Notice what happens here. First of all, the imperative is twofold. One, to abstain. We've dealt with that. Starve yourself. But two, live such good lives. And I want you to understand, New Testament was written in Greek. The idea of good life means to be honorable. The idea of honorable in the Greek text means this. It means that the inward change be outwardly seen. Does that make sense? Live an honorable life. Demonstrate Christ in how you live. There's an inward change that's happened. Let others see it. But then it goes further. It says, live a good life in front of the pagans. Now, many times we think pagans is such a derogatory term. We list it and we label those who um, aren't a part of our nation or people we're at war with. But you need to understand pagans are those people who don't know Jesus. So if you're here today and you haven't asked Christ to come into your life, you're a pagan. If you have a child and that child is not a Christian, they're a pagan. Do you understand that? Not necessarily a bad thing because it gives a label and identity that they need Jesus. And when people in the early church saw pagans, they saw a mission field. They saw compassion, just like Christ did. You follow me on that? And what he's saying here is let the inward change flow out of an outward attitude and behavior that when people who don't know Christ see you, even though they ridicule you and persecute you, they glorify God on the day that he visits us. Meaning, your testimony is not just in what you say, it's in what you do. Follow that? It's an action. Now, pagans in that day and age took their polytheistic culture and their philosophy and put them together. And they had certain standards of mankind. They expected people to act in certain ways. We have that in our culture too. Regardless if you're a Christian or not, if a person lies, society sees that as wrong. Agreed? If a person steals, society sees that as wrong. Every culture has standards. And what he's saying here is let the standards be met for those that are pagans and let the testimony of Christ come out of your life so that you are honorable in their eyes. So at the end of the day, they see Jesus in you and hopefully profess him. And so when Christ visits us, they go to heaven. You get that? The standard God is calling you to lead. The standard God is calling you to live is one that you are called to, ro- to, to walk a tight rope of holiness, knowing that there is a soft net of grace to catch you. Meaning, he expects you and I to do right. Understands we're going to mess up and catches us. We don't go to hell when we know Jesus, but we climb back up and keep walking. You follow me on that? Listen, biblically speaking, he calls us to do right. And if you go further in that verse, in verse 12, it says they glorify God. And the greatest way for you to experience, for me to experience joy and contentment and peace is to know and live out God's glory, that we do things in order to glorify God. We make much of Him and we find joy. And so therefore we are called to walk that tightrope. You follow that so far? To what end though? What does that do? How does that change? And how are we to really see that happening in our life? Well, really, the way we do that—and this is not necessarily listed—but here's the thing: Pagans expected these folks to have integrity. Non-Christians expect you, as I, Christians, to have integrity. Do you know that? And integrity is simply defined: doing the right thing when no one's looking. Non-Christians expect you and I not to compromise our faith. There's nothing worse than a faker in Christianity, is there? Or a hypocrite, right? Don't compromise. But also, we need to see life, what we do in life, whether it's school or work or whatever, as worship. And therefore, we work hard at it. And we need to make sure that people see that. Not because we're trying to prove something or put some kind of facade up. Because this is who we are. Go back to verse 12. Notice what happens. Let your good lives be evident. Even when they speak evil of you, they have no excuse to say, hey, This person is bad because there's no way to fill in the blank. Because you are honorable. You have integrity. You don't compromise your faith. You're working hard. You follow me on this? Walk the tightrope. Understand that. Live that out. But to what end? What does that look like? And how do we begin to apply specifically being a square peg? How do we own this? you got to know in owning this that you are demonstrating to the world that you're a Christian. By owning this and by being the square peg, you need to understand that you're submitting to Christ. We're going to talk about that for the next several weeks. That's what the rest of chapter 2 and most of chapter 3 talks about. But also, you got to own this and understand what's happening here. You own this by showing others. People need to see your good works. People need to see that there is a hope. People need to understand that good works aren't going to save you, but when you're saved, good works happen. You follow that? People need to know Jesus through your attitude, actions, and mouth. That's your mission. That's your calling. Some of you are like, Chip, I don't know how to share my testimony. Hear me on this. Your testimony is in what you do. It's in what you do. And many of you are like, I have a hard time. I'm addicted to these certain things. I'm addicted to sinning against myself. I'm addicted to sinning against my faith. I'm addicted to sinning against others. Listen to me. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, he can rescue you from that. But will you and I own the square peg in a world that says, be a circle? See, 1 Peter says, in the first chapter, your salvation is completely into Jesus. It's not you, it's him. And Then he goes on to say, your status is now Jesus. Now it's up to us. What does the world see? When he looks at us, what does it see? Does the light that we shine demonstrate the God that we have? being the square peg so three action steps I want to give you and we're going to get out of here own it by knowing Christ own it by knowing Christ some of you are here today you've never asked Jesus to come into your life First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 says dear friends listen you can't be a square peg until you know Christ you need to take that step of faith by knowing Christ and I want to take this a step further some of you have been hesitant or resistant to baptism. And the public profession of your faith is being baptized. And you need to take that step of faith. And on your Connect card, there are two boxes at the very top that says, I want to know Jesus or I want to be baptized. If that's you, you need to check those boxes, and we'll follow up with you tomorrow morning. But you've got to own it by knowing Jesus. You've got to own it by submitting to Christ, submitting to who God is. If you go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 16... It says we walk by the Spirit, and what that means is you walk by the Spirit, you're submitting to what God wants for your life, and by doing so, you don't gratify the desires of the flesh. Does that make sense? When we're submitting to God, wants, so walk by the Spirit, own the square peg by submitting to what God wants in your life. And the second thing, last thing is simply this. Own it by sharing this with others, by how you live your life. So are you being the square peg? Are you being the square peg? John Wesley is a spiritual hero. He is also the founder of what we call the Methodist Church. If you're not in the church world, or maybe you are and you go down the road, you'll see a church and it says a United Methodist Church or a Methodist Church. Y'all have seen these churches before. Maybe you grew up in one. I grew up half Methodist and half Baptist, and that equates to being confused, all right? And so John Wesley actually founded the Methodist Church. He was never Methodist. And the reason they called him a Methodist because him and a group of people at Oxford University in England came together and they had a method to growing in their faith and therefore they would dub the term, what? Methodist. And I'll never forget, he was a revivalist. He preached all over the place. Him and his brother Charles Wesley, even in St. If you ever go to St. Simon's Island, please make sure you go and visit the old churches there. Uh, Christ Church specifically, there's an old oak tree there in the cemetery. And under that old oak tree... John Wesley and Charles Wesley used to do revivals and people came to Christ in scores. And it's an amazing place. I have a selfie with it where I stood under that tree where I felt like the Holy Spirit just poured down on those people in that day and age. It was amazing. They traveled up and down the eastern seaboard along with another guy named Charles Whitfield or George Whitfield and they shared their faith and they preached to audiences with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people. Can you imagine in Georgia, three or four thousand people gathering in a pasture with no microphones and these guys preaching for three hours. You get frustrated when I go over 30 minutes, okay? Let's be honest. People get angry when it's hot in here. These guys would listen for hours, and they would put people in the audience, and they would hear John Wesley preach, and they would scream the other way, and scores of people came to know Jesus. This is an amazing thing. And I'll never forget, and I have this posted in my office, and I thought it would be unique to share with you this morning. He says this, it's a quote that John Wesley quotes and I have it on a bulletin board and I look at it as I'm preparing my messages and different stuff in my office and he says, catch on fire and people will come for miles to see you burn. Isn't that good? And that's you, that's you. You got to understand that. When you embrace this, you catch on fire for the Lord, people will come to watch you burn. Now the Methodist church burned for years. And right now we need to pray for our Methodist brothers and sisters because they're in a plight right now of determining to where they're going to allow homosexual marriage or not. Now, I want you to understand something. And I want to say this. I didn't share this in the second ser- first service. I'm going to share it now. We love everybody. And we have people who come in this room who deal with different things and struggle with different things. And I am not, I am not one of those folks who comes in and makes judgment. But we also have biblical parameters we've got to follow. And so right now they're in there debating this, and over the years, Methodist Church as a whole has lost their testimony. Today might be the final nail in the coffin. I say all this because John Wesley made this statement years ago. He not only said, come for miles and people will watch you burn, or, or catch on fire and people will go for miles to watch you burn. He almost made this statement many, many years ago. He says... When one generation, what, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. Now, i tell you this story first to pray for our brothers and sisters who are making some tough decisions today. And I really believe many of them love and want to connect with the homosexual community. So does River Hills Church. Because we don't judge. We love. We demonstrate grace, but we don't compromise scripture. You follow that? But I tell you this story as an illustration to your own heart, my heart too. When we choose to compromise who we are, fortifications begin to crumble around us and we completely lose our identity. Let me say that again. We compromise who we are in Christ through Scripture. The fortifications begin to crumble around us and we completely lose our identity. You feel me on that? You become carved into a round peg. And that is not what God wants for you. He wants you to catch on fire so that people come from miles to see you burn. Y'all with me on that? So here's my question. Are you burning? How are you identified? Are you an owner or are you a faker? You with me on this? Who are you? God wants your testimony and action to be one that's experienced grace. Have you experienced it? This morning, I want to challenge you to do something. On the connect card you were given, some of you need Jesus, straight up. Some of you need to be baptized. Some of you need prayer. Some of you need to be in a life group. Some of you need to serve somewhere, whether it be in the tech booth or somewhere else. But you need to take that step of faith. Y'all with me on that? And begin to see God light you on fire. We're going to take communion in just a moment. And you'll notice the tables to my left and right and the one in the back. And communion symbolizes how Christ redeems us. He was broken for us. His blood was shed for us so that we might be labeled a square peg, right? And we remember that incredible transformation that he provided us through Christ. And we remember the forgiveness that he gives. And we remember the identity that's been shifted from a sinner to a saint. And so the Bible calls for us to take a few moments and prepare our hearts and ask God to do a work in us to show us what we need to repent of, to show us what we need to get right in our own lives. And so I'm going to pray in just a moment. And after I pray, you, may, you spend a few moments with the Lord, and as you feel ready, you come and take the elements back to your seat, and as a church, we'll remember what Christ has done together. If you have children here that don't know Jesus yet, I want to encourage you not to let them take communion this morning, and the reason being is you need to explain to them the gospel and let them know this is for people who know Christ. And so this morning, I'm going to pray, and as you feel God-led, you feel God-leading, you come and take the elements back to your seat. Let's pray together. Father, we love you, and ask God very specifically that you begin to work that you would light us on fire and that you would make us burn for you. Give us a yearning heart. Give us a thirst for your glory. Give us a desire for your word. Change us in every way. And as you work in us, Lord, I pray, God, that we feel your presence that you would change us. As you pray, as you ask God to work in your life, take a moment, come forward take the elements back to your seat Father, thank you for the love you show us through Jesus. Thank you for the hope we have in Christ. Through you, we experience salvation. Because of that, our status has been changed to those that are redeemed. And I pray, God, that you would empower us, that you would empower us, God. I promise you will. We're asking for it, Lord. We submit ourselves to you. you'd empower us to demonstrate your glory through how we live so Christ in these moments that you would work in us and change us completely that you'd unify this church together to be a light unto the world not just by simply what we say but what we do, how we love how we confront how we live, who we serve how we serve, when we serve Lord let everything be in existence for your glory For your kingdom, through your gospel, you are God. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the sacrifice you give, Jesus. In your name, amen. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Remember that. Take and eat. This is the blood of Christ shed for you for the redemption of sins. Take and drink. May his peace be on you. May the significance of the salvation that you have fill you, and may your heart be submissive in the status that you are a child of God. He bridged the gap, closed the chasm between us so that we might know him. And this morning, if you're here and you don't know him on well, that connect card, fill that out. And as you exit the doors, there'll be some guys with baskets so you can drop that off. If you want to come to our experienced river hills luncheon that'll be right after the service this morning i'd love to have you sit down and talk with you share a meal with you and explain everything about what we believe but this morning because of this sacrifice because of his great love and because of the status that we are his church we celebrate that so let's stand and sing as loud as we can to the glory and to the praise of god let's worship together